This podcast is a part of the Newhoff Media Podcast Network. You're listening to the Paranormal Pursuit, hosted by Bobsy from 99.7 The Mix and Larry Wilson from the Urban Paranormal Investigation. You're not alone. We're not alone. The Paranormal Pursuit will keep you company. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. It's Bonzi, Larry Wilson. We are live right now on St. Patrick's Day. So maybe we get lucky here, Larry, and this one blows up and this podcast takes us to the top. You know what I mean? Like, Well, if we're going to need luck, it's going to be on about this place. So, yeah, this is a good day. Yep, very, very happy day, and we're uh, proud to be recording this today again Um 997 The Mix is where you can go and get all of our podcasts of the Paranormal Pursuit. We are on Season 2, Episode 5. This is the Velisca House. And I, again, can't believe that we went somewhere, or I went somewhere, this uh, evil or this uh, well-known, established, um, negative place so fast. Like, I I mean, what was I thinking? Because last week when we talked about the Sally House... I was like, why did I think I could go do that stuff right away? I guess it all goes down to my faith, though, and my faith, you know, that I know, you know, that I'll be okay and that I'll be safe, and and um, I think it's it's partially the faith, you know, that's probably primarily why. But I also think that again, until you're there and it's happening, it's like, uh, what's what can happen, you know? Right, but, right, uh, right. And it's any place you go to, you know. We found that with a lot of the interns that, oh, this is going to be fun, you know. And then, right, and it doesn't not <laughs> turn, turn out, out to be that fun way. at all. Yeah. So the Velisca House again, you know, in season one, you should go listen to the the podcast that Larry Wilson uh, did pretty pretty much all about his investigations there and the evidence that he got with the Green Orb. I mean, that's a pretty terrifying story, you know, to hear that and you and what happened to your family afterwards. And again, this is what you talk about when you go to these scary places. Like the Sally House, uh, like the Velisca House, two that I just come in the top of my head that are the the, the negative places. Yeah, it's not the stuff that happens to you while you're there; it's the stuff that happens after that you got to right. really be careful about. Right. And um, this one, you know, um, again, you you said it. I think a couple times before we went, some people will go to the Velisca House. Yeah. And nothing will happen. You won't hear anything. You won't see anything. You won't really get any bad vibes. And that was me. I really didn't get much negative vibes uh, to the house. Um, and, I mean, the story is, is scary. The, you know, the history of the house is definitely scary. Right. And there's some, you know, creepiness to it. But I never really felt like I was in danger or um, being attacked or anything like that. You know, I didn't really feel like that 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 big of a negative vibe was there like I did at the Sally House. You know, I definitely yeah. felt that. Well, anytime uh, that I've been in the Bliska House, and I've never investigated it alone, but... Anytime I've been in the house alone, when say other investigators are outside, you get you get very nervous. You get a, an odd feeling that um, something's not right with the house and that you're being watched. Yeah, Casey, one of our interns at the at the time who went was had the opposite, uh, you know, experience. Yep, not a good one. Well, um, she. We'll, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about that. And there was another investigator back in it was 2010, October 2010, kind of a similar thing. Um, something happened and. Um, there were three of us, but she decided to leave the house and stay in the car the rest of the yeah. night. And, you know, you're in a, 
outside of a, a murder house, staying in a car by yourself, when there's two guys inside, you'd rather be inside with right. the guys, you would think. But <laughs> right. no, that wasn't the case. So let's give the history of the Velisca House if uh, people haven't heard about it. And again, we we, we, we are, are giving the, the one that we think is most verifiable, the one that we think is most has the most truth to it, the right. most validity to it. There are some rumors that float around about what actually happened or who committed some of these crimes, but um, this is the one that I think is the, the 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 closest to the belief of the legend or what is what happened at Villisca. Right. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, Villisca, Iowa, has a population of thirteen hundred and is located eighty miles southwest of uh, the town of Council Bluffs in Montgomery County, Iowa, and it's primarily a farming community, but. Uh, as you know, uh, unfortunately, when you go into town and you're a stranger, everybody seems to know why you're there because yeah. the legacy of the town is the murder house. And yeah. they see a stranger in town, they'll come up to you and say, hey, are you investigating the murder house tonight? That's happened to me you know, at least once. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the house uh, that we investigated was built in 1868, and it sits on lot 310 in Villisca. Um, since the murders of the house has been owned by various people, but the most recent um, acquisition uh, was in 1994 by Darwin Lynn. Uh, he and his wife Martha restored the house to its original condition. Um, they took out the electricity. There's no running water in the house, so it's just like it was back in 1910 uh, when the murders took place. Um, unfortunately, Darwin passed away in, in 2011, but the house is still owned by Martha, and you have to rent it through Martha. Uh, it's located at 508 East 2nd Street, and it's a, um, a small white wood frame two-story house. The downstairs, uh, it consists of a kitchen, pantry, parlor, and a bedroom. Upstairs, uh, at the very top of the stairs, there's a loft-style bedroom, which uh, Joe and Sarah Moore were murdered in. It was the parents' bedroom. And if you continue down the hallway, just to the left, uh, there's a door. And if you open the door, you'll find a second door that leads to, uh, it's kind of an A-frame-style attic, small attic. Uh, just past the attic door and down the short hallway is the children's bedroom. So a very, very small house. Um, you know, it, it, it makes you wonder the night of the murders, um, how no one heard anything, you know. But uh, continuing on, the the property uh, also has a, a red uh, red barn that Darwin built because there was a barn there when the, when the murders took place and it had been since torn down. But one of the theories is that the murderers, murder or murderers, they don't know if there was one or more, um, actually hung out in the barn waiting for the family to come home. And there's some different, uh, you know, beliefs on that, right? That, yeah. That thinks the killer either either or killers hid out in the barn, uh, the killer or the killers hid out in the pantry, or the killer and or killers hid out in the attic. So they don't really know. And some even think possibly the basement as well. There's like an outdoor type cellar, you know, the right. old storm cellar. And now, so are you going to get into the investigation and how, what they think or who they think actually did yeah, it? Yeah, well, as far as the, the actual murders, though, um, it was the evening of July 9th, 1912. Joe Moore and his wife, Sarah, took their four children, Herman, age 11, Catherine, 10, Boyd, 7, and Paul, 5, along with two uh, friends of the family, uh, Ina Stillinger, a little girl, 8 years old, and her sister, Lena, who was uh, only 11 at the time. And they took them to the children's day service at the local Presbyterian church, which is not too far from the house. But you know, little did they realize that night when they were walking home that this is, this is going to be our last night on this earth, you know, alive. Um, the exact time that the killer or killers entered the house is really unknown, but most who have researched the case believe that it was sometime after midnight uh, that they entered the house through an unlocked door. 
uh, made their way upstairs. Others believe that the killers, like you were mentioning, hid out in the attic between the parents and the children's bedroom. Um, but at the top of the stairs, uh, the killers found their way first into Joe and Sarah Moore's bedroom. They believe they were killed first. Um, they think that based on the crime scene, it was surmised that the killers first struck Joe in the head with the blunt, uh, blunt end of the axe, and then they next attacked Sarah, killing her in the same manner, you know, with the blunt end of the axe. Uh, with Joe and Sarah both either dead or dying, they then made their way down the narrow hallway to the kids' room. And one of the, to me, again, one of the more puzzling things related to the to the murders is with the noise of, you know, the parents being bludgeoned to death in a room that's no more than 15 to 20 feet away in a house that, you know, you can hear every noise in that house and you can vouch for that. But all the kids were killed in their sleep. They never woke up. You know, it's, it just didn't make sense. Um, the only one, well, I guess they the killers, when they entered the house, they didn't know, I guess, or didn't, uh, I guess they knew probably how many members of the family there were. But their two little girls slept downstairs in a separate bedroom on the first floor. There were only two on the first floor. So the killers must have overlooked them. But again, the, the same type of thing with all the noise that had to be going on upstairs with all the commotion, the two little girls downstairs were also killed in their sleep. And the only one that was not actually in a sleeping position was Ina, the 11-year-old. And some of the authorities believe that she may have put up a fight, but there was also rumors that she was molested post-mortem by the by the killers too so but again the whole thing was just it was, didn't make sense how you know how that the right and when victims, we're in when you're in that house and, and 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 you know there was a point where i think i was downstairs in that parlor room area with maybe you and and and, uh, and the other two were upstairs you can hear everybody moving around yeah, up there i mean yeah. and, and it's it, i mean you can hear every movement when someone walks through the home especially those stairs that really right. narrow staircase right i mean there was no I, I it was hard for me to even walk up the staircase because it was so narrow and i'm and i'm making big giant noises with you my know, feet and back in the day the people were smaller they really were i remember from the newspaper article it when it was talking about joe moore being killed it described him as, as a, a rather large man at five seven you know so the pipe of people were a lot different okay. back in the early days um, but yeah, I mean, none of this really made made a lot of sense. Um, one of the really strange things that Darwin told me about Darwin Lynn, the owner, that unfortunately, like I said, he passed away a few years ago. But he told me one time of some guests that were staying in the house. It was a man and his wife and their child. Uh, I don't know how old the child was, but anyhow, they brought the whole family, thinking, "Hey, this is going to be a good time." But you've seen the closet upstairs in the in the kids' bedroom, and there's no lock on the door. Mm -hmm. But anyhow, the the man went upstairs. And his family was downstairs, his wife and kid were downstairs. And the guy decided to walk in the uh, closet because a lot of people report seeing the door open and closing on its own. Well, the man went in the closet and when he shut the door and then he decided to, to, to exit the closet. But when he did, the door wouldn't open. So he starts yelling for his wife to come up and, and get, help him get out of the closet. And it gets to the point where he's you know screaming because nobody's coming to get him out of there. And finally, the door opens, he gets out of the closet, and he goes downstairs and says, you know, why didn't you come up and help me? And she says, I didn't know there was anything wrong. He said, well, I was yelling, but he, he never heard her. And that just doesn't make sense, you know, because just— uh, She uh, never oh, heard him. Oh, she never heard him, yeah, yeah. 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 But it just didn't make any sense. But, uh, but continue with the story, um, the bodies were discovered the following morning when the next-door neighbor, Mary Peckham, 
um, she noticed that the family hadn't been out doing their chores. So she got a little nervous, went over. I think she knocked on the front door, no answer. So she, she uh, called uh, Joe Moore's brother, uh, Ross. And uh, Ross came, had a spare key, and he, um, he unlocked the door, went in. And the first room, for some reason, he went in the downstairs bedroom, which I'm not sure why he did that. And I'm not sure if the authorities know why. But he discovered the two bodies of the little girls just bludgeoned to death, blood all over everywhere. So he came outside and uh, had uh, Miss Peckham call the, the, the local sheriff. Uh, the sheriff came to the house and discovered all the bodies. Just every room there was a, there was a dead body, or every bedroom there was a dead body. So it was really tragic. Um, over the years, there's been a lot of speculation on who, who did it. Um, the prime suspect in Darwin Lynn, who did a lot of research on the house, um, believed it was State Senator Frank Jones. Uh, his, he was called F.F. Jones uh, for short. But Jones uh, was in a partnership with Joe. Uh, they owned the local hardware store, and uh, they also had the first John Deere dealership in, in the state of Iowa. But they had a falling out, and uh, Joe started his own hardware store and actually took over the John Deere dealership for, from Jones. So there was, a, there was a, a lot of hard feelings from that. But the second motive of Jones would have been that it was rumored that Joe Moore was having an affair with Jones's um, daughter-in-law. And it was also rumored that Jones was having an affair with his own daughter-in-law. And one of the things, there was a local psychic here, Cheryl, and I've talked about her before on the show. Uh, but uh, when I asked her about Villisca, what happened, she told me it was a love triangle. And she knew nothing about the house, didn't even know where it was, you know, basically. But she told me it was a love triangle. And that would make sense with the first scenario that F.F. Jones, you know, had uh, killed mm-hmm. Joe because of that. Uh, the second suspect and one of the uh, best motives would have been a detective, James Wilkerson, who was with the Burns Detective Agency uh, and was probably the lead investigator for the murders, uh, he surmised that it was both Jones and his son, Albert, had hired uh, a guy named Blackie Mansfield, and he was called Insane Blackie. Um, but both denied the accusation. Um, Wilkerson didn't have any evidence to substantiate the claim. Substantiate the claim. But later on, in July of 1914, Mansfield... Um, murdered basically his wife, his, uh, his his small child, and his in-laws in Blue Island, Illinois, and he killed him with an axe in the same manner that the Moore family was killed. The third uh, possible suspect was Henry Lee Moore, who was a serial killer that was going around the Midwest at the time and, and killed as many as 22 people, um, including uh, uh, you know folks here in Illinois, in Monmouth, Illinois. Uh, but he was later arrested and convicted of serial killings, but he was never convicted of uh, anything to do with the Villisca house. And then my prime suspect is a guy by the name of Reverend George Jacqueline Kelly. He was a traveling minister. Um, he was in Villisca at the time, staying with the, uh, the, the, the uh, Presbyterian minister, staying at their house. And as the story goes, it was a hot night, and the minister and his family decided to sleep out in the yard in the tent, you know, because it was cooler out there. And um, Reverend Kelly slept in the house in one of the bedrooms. And according to Kelly, and Kelly actually was the only one ever to confess to the murders uh, and the only one ever tried to the murders. But he was, he, when he was tried, he was found not guilty. Um, but there were several reasons. He, he actually uh, wrote a confession. And uh, the, the night, or the, I'm sorry, the morning after the murders, the bodies hadn't even been discovered yet, and Kelly was on the local train heading to Redbud, and supposedly he was talking about the murders before they had even been discovered. 
And one of the things about Kelly, he was also known to be a perverted guy. And uh, there's evidence, there's letters and stuff where um, he was um, hiring a secretary. I think he was from Kansas, if I remember right. I might be wrong on that. But anyhow, he was hiring a secretary. And in some of the letters between him and the secretary, there was just some kind of perverse, you know, mm-hmm. um, verbiage going back and forth. But anyhow, one of my theories is that Kelly, um, in his confession, said that he started hearing a, hearing voices. And uh, when he heard the voices, he heard a, a voice, and he thought it was the voice of God saying to suffer the children, um, you know. Um, and so he ends up going outside, and he said he saw a shadow person, and he followed the shadow person to the Moore house, and he claims that the shadow person told him that he needed to sl- that was he thought it was God, and he told him that he needed to slay utterly. So the story is that he went in the house, and he admitted killing like one of the Stillinger girls. Um, but anyhow, when when I read the uh, confession of Kelly, it reminded me of some of the things that happened, you know, back in 2008 when I came home from investigating the house. I was seeing shadowy figures and hearing voices myself. Uh, so it, it seemed plausible that maybe he did think it was the voice of God. He was kind of offbeat anyway, you know. But I think if that didn't happen, the reason he knew about the murders, he, being a perverted guy, um, I think he heard something going on at the Moore's house and peeked yeah. through the window. And as far as the, the, the Stillinger girl being molested post-mortem, I could see possibly um, Kelly doing that because uh, it wasn't long after that that Kelly took a bloody shirt to the local laundry. I don't know if it was in Villisca or Redbud. I can't remember. But he had a, a white shirt with blood on it. So it would make sense if he discovered the bodies molested, the little girl post-mortem, he could have got blood on his clothing. Right. So five different possible stories. Well, there's even scenarios. I'm not going to yeah, go into exactly. it, but there's even there's, more, there's but more. You're it's right. never been solved. Right, and that's the that's the crazy thing about this. So Villisca, Axe Murder House, again, uh, the location is really, really kind of ironic, and uh, not a co- or is it a coincidence? You know, with the Sally House, again, you know, you talked about that last week in episode four, the address, the latitude, the longitude, you know, if you want to repeat that again one more time before we get into the EVPs. Tell people the the connection there. Yeah, I don't remember the exact uh, latitude, but it's uh, it, it ends in the numbers six six six. And I checked a bunch of other houses that I've investigated in, and just famous houses, and, and none of them are on that same latitude. And the address for the Sally House is is five zero eight uh, North Second Street, and, and the Villisca House is five zero eight uh, uh, East Third uh, Street. Yeah, it's just nuts. Or east to Second Street. It's nuts. Okay, so we decide to go and um, intern at the time, Casey. Uh, was really into this. She loved listening to the shows. Um, I think you and her, didn't you guys have a lot of conversations uh, beforehand about this stuff and how she was you know, into this and how she had some experiences with things before and really just wanted to see you know, how she could continue to, 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 to get into this kind of thing? Yeah, um, we had a lot of conversations. You do a local promotion at a local pub here in town, and uh, that's where I met her at the first time. And we had a lot of conversations about the paranormal, and she was interested. And we were looking for you know a couple extra people to go with us, and we decided that she would be prime candidate to go. Right. Um, <laughs> again, I can't believe we like, hey, let's go to Villisca. Let's go to Sci House. Let's yeah. go to all these crazy, evil places. 
Um, so we we head out. We leave. Uh, your buddy uh, Jay, Jay, who was one of your uh, Jay at the good time, partners. Yeah, he'd investigated with me three or four times at that point. You know, and uh, he was a pretty good investigator. He had a lot of equipment that yep. he bought, and he was he was totally interested in the paranormal. Yep. So a good road trip. Yeah, it was fun. It's about six hours there, roughly. Yeah, not know, bad. No. I just remember driving there and kind of just really being excited because, you know, I, I again, if you pull up YouTube, if you Google Velisca, you're going to find a plethora of people who have investigated this, who have gotten evidence, who say they've seen things or heard things or felt things. And you're, I'm talking some of the, you know, the really top-notch, you yeah, know, ghost right. adventures, ghost hunters, spirit, whatever you want. They've I mean, been there. They've all been there and, they, and something's happened. I, yeah. With, Every single one of them. Well, even uh, from last week from the Sally House, uh, after you know the Pickman family had all the, the odd things happen to them, uh, they became paranormal investigators. And, mm-hmm. and in a conversation I had with the Pickmans, uh, Tony also had problems. And, and, and we discussed last week, you could go to episode four in the Sally House and, and listen to in, in, uh, our stories about what happened. But Tony was a gifted psychic, but he and, and Deb and their team, investigative team, went to the, the Villisca House uh, not long after they became paranormal investigators. And uh, Tony was getting some visions and stuff, and all of a sudden Tony passed out. And luckily they had an EMT with him that was part of their investigative team and and revived Tony. But uh, he said that, yeah, he had a lot of the same um, feelings uh, that the house, that there was something very, very negative, if not evil there. So let's go through the investigation a little bit. We get there. Um, when we show up, we meet with someone who— Johnny Hauser. Yeah, okay. And so he gave us a tour. Yeah, Johnny Hauser lives right next door in Mary Peckham's house, the lady that basically led to the discovery of the bodies. Okay. And um, I've talked to Johnny, and Johnny would be the one that let people in the Velisca house, and he spent a lot of time there. Matter of fact, uh, Johnny planned to spend a whole week there by himself, and I think he did. But over the years, I noticed how— uh, I think I'm not sure how old Johnny is now, but he's probably maybe close to 40. But he looked a lot older than he was. Black circles under his eyes and stuff. And at one point, he told me he had to stop going into the house because it was getting to him. But not only that, um, his family had things go on in their house. And there's some video out there on YouTube if you want to look up Johnny Hauser. But he's got some pretty convincing video of uh, of a door opening and closing in his house on its own. But he would also have vivid dreams, and the dream he kept having over and over was that there was information hitting in, hidden in um, his house um, that had connection to the Velisca house, hmm. you know. But but yeah, it, it basically the house right next door has stuff going right. too. Right. So we get there, we talk to him outside. Uh, it's still daylight. Uh, I forget what time we get there. Probably around, around seven, six thirty-seven ish. Yeah. Uh, there's a little uh, is is the is the tourist uh, shop is that gift shop is that where the barn was yeah okay so we went in there right because he wanted to show us some of the stuff and we wanted to see it and take some pictures of some yeah. of the the newspaper clippings the actual axe that they believe was used in the crime is there right. I mean it's in a glass case there there are two axes and actually Darwin told me Darwin Lynn told me one time that. The axe that was uh, donated to a museum, I think it was at one of the big universities in in Iowa, was not the actual murder weapon Darwin had it because there were two axes. And at the time after the murders, they had the axe displayed somewhere in town, and someone switched it because they felt that it was going to someone was going to try to steal it, you know, just because of the history of the house. But Darwin had the original axe, so that is the original axe that's in that museum. We all go in there, the four of us, and. Um I forgot who asked the question. Oh no, he, I think Johnny said, "Who, who wants to hold the axe?" Yeah, and 
was, we all looked at each other and we're like, uh, okay. <laughs> and had you ever held the axe before that? I had, but okay. uh, the, the axe used to be kept in the actual murder house. Okay. And Darwin said that at one time there was a psychic that came to do an investigation on the house. And one of the things she said, she said, you need to get this axe out of the house just because if someone, if a spirit takes over a person, possesses a person in this house, that axe doesn't need to be in this house. Right. Who knows what could happen? So Darwin took it out and then put it in his little museum. So um, you held the axe. Yeah. Jay held the axe. Casey held the axe. Yeah. I was the only one. I was like, I, I, no, I don't need no to thanks. hold it. I was yeah. like, I don't need to hold it. I just don't need to. I, <laughs> no, I mean, it's cool. You. I can see it. I got the camera in my hand. I'll just sit here and take pictures. And um, that was, again, I think the first, you know, the Sally House was kind of the first investigation where I was like, okay, I really want to document stuff because I really want people to be able to hear or see what we are hearing and seeing. I really, right. I really want people to experience that because that's how you think you get the proof. Yeah. You know, people, you, know, they, you have to see it to believe it, right? So I really had uh, your digital camera, or your, no, it's yeah. not digital. It, yeah, it, it is. Okay, I had your digital camera the whole time, the infrared camera the whole yep. time. It could take pictures and 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 uh, also could, do video. Right. Um, And so I had that pretty much the whole time. So we go for there, he takes us into the Velisca house, gives us the full tour. The whole time we're getting the full tour, I don't think any of us really felt creeped out again. Not I, at that point, no. I, I think all of us were just like, again, this is kind of like a... Uh, a trip to New Salem or something. Yeah. Like, this is a historic, you know, kind of a field trip, you right. know, is what it felt like. Right. Yeah. And uh, it's it's almost like we just wanted to get to it. We wanted to get to the investigation, you know. Mm-hmm. And we knew most of the stories anyway, but John, right. he told us a few more. But uh, um, So again, like you said, you know, it's a really small house. The parlor's probably the biggest room in the whole area. The kitchen maybe is the second biggest room. Bedroom's all very small. Uh, the, the, the staircase upstairs, very tiny, very small. Um, again, I, you felt like you couldn't even stand up tall in, no, in, yeah. in the, in the, in the upstairs area, you well, know, the upstairs is like an A-frame ceiling, yeah. you know, and, and the story is too that, and, uh, Darwin showed me that the first time I investigated the house, you could still see it in the ceiling, but he later fixed the ceiling and said, right. I wish I hadn't. But, um, with each blow of the ax, the, the, the back of the ax, the sharp end of the ax hit the ceiling and then hit the victim. So there used to be multiple, um, you know, uh, gashes in the ceiling that Darwin fixed. So it's a small, small house yeah. and upstairs. So we did the whole setup, uh, strung all the cords out. You know, we wanted to set up some cameras, video cameras. We put the EV, the recording devices in each room. Uh, our home base was in the kitchen area. That's right. where I guess most people set up is there in the kitchen area yeah. because um, I don't know if there's been a lot of activity that's happened in that kitchen area. I think it's just because there's a table in there and you kind of want to keep the parlor and the other rooms open. You know, that's just kind of out of the way, you know, where okay. you can set your equipment up. Um, and then we first, I think, didn't we first go to the parlor? We did. Okay. Yeah. And, and all four of us kind of sat in there we just, sat just in to there. kind of get our bearings yeah. and see what we wanted to do. Yeah. And, and it's... Uh, it's to the point where it's dark in the house now, you know, because it, it was around sunset when we finally got things going, I think. And we were just each basically just took a corner of the room and we're seated and seeing what we could hear or listening for sounds, you know. Right. Um, not a lot no. happened while we were in the house. Um, and we spent time in every room. We split up two on two, you know, two, a pair went here, a pair went here. I think the only alone time that was really ever done was when, did you go in the attic first or did I go in the attic first? I went in there for a little bit and then you went in and I kind of just sat outside the door on the floor and, and I think Jay and Casey, they were also upstairs, I believe, when we were up there. But 
Yeah, I went in the attic first for a little bit, and then you went in, and uh, you stayed quite a bit longer. Yeah, I did. And and again, the stuff that I had watched, I had heard a lot about the attic. You know, yeah. the, the the TV stuff that I had seen and watched, you know, the guys from Ghost Adventures, uh, there was a lot of stuff that happened in that attic area. Yeah, and, and a few I, things had happened in the previous investigations when I was there. Where right. Like the guy that was with me uh, walked in the attic. I was changing a battery on the camera, and I turned around just in time to see him, the hood on his sweatshirt jerked. He went backwards, and the hood on his sweatshirt was pulled straight backwards. You could see it in the air, and there's nothing there, but his, the hood of his sweatshirt is just right. pulled straight out. So I, I would say there's only two things, stories, that we can talk about that actually happened while we were there that, that are unexplainable. Um, one of the stories is when I was in the attic. Yeah. Taking pictures, we're gonna post the photos on the uh, the the podcast page, so you can look at the photos. And um, one photo is of the attic, and there is something in front—a white—I um, don't even know what you want to call it. It's just like a like a, a white. Um, Normally, seeing a photo like that, you would say, oh, that's a finger. Right. That's the finger of the person taking the, the photos. But the particular camera of mine that you were using, the shutter button is on the right side of the camera. And it's a relatively heavy camera. So you, from what I remember you saying, you used you had both hands taking pictures. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, there was a strap around the neck, around your neck. And, uh, but anyhow, if you're taking photos with this camera – you couldn't have taken – I mean, you could have, but it would have been awkward to take the pictures <laughs> right. and put your hand – you would have had to try to put your finger in front of the lens in order right. to get this photo. And, you know, I never even noticed it, but do you see this right here too? I mean, it's like kind of a another – Yeah, it almost same looks like there's – shape. Yeah. Just – it's blurred out. You know, and, and honestly, it does look like a hand or like two fingers, you know? Um, but it could, you couldn't have done that holding the camera steady and taking uh, pictures with one hand. And this is the picture. We're going to put up the second picture, which is, again, you know, I, I think this is – it could have been before or after. I don't remember. No, this is after. I remember from this morning when I uh, was collecting okay. the photos. And it's, it's after. Ex- so it's, you know, it's right after I snapped the picture. Because what I would do is I would snap the pictures, and then I would go back and I would look at them, you yeah. know, because yeah. that's what you told me to do. Is and you that, still you, do that to this day. Yeah, so you take a picture, and then you look at the camera, there's the photo to see what you found in it. But again – I never I, I forgot about this part. You can see the big giant white whatever that is hanging down. And then you can see over here, if it was my fingers, wouldn't my fingers both be the same well, you, color? It's almost like you're yeah, you would think. Of you course, I mean? it's infrared though. You, right. you can't tell for that. But, but <laughs> that's crazy. I mean, any skeptic would say, "Oh, those are the guy taking the pictures, that's his fingers." But but the way again to know the scenario, there's no way he could have, Bonzi could have put his fingers in front of the camera without intentionally trying to do that. Right. That's insane. And when I saw that, I, where were you guys at when, when that happened? Because we I remember, remember I was like, oh, I said, yeah. oh, I remember I said something. I was like, oh, Larry. I was just sitting on come, the floor in the hallway of, upstairs, kind of by the by the attic door. And Casey and Jay were, I don't know if they were together, but they were in either the, I don't remember if they were in the children's bedroom or the Moore's bedroom. I can't remember at that point. But um, yeah, we were all upstairs. 
And we heard you say, you know, and that that attic is an uncomfortable place to it be is. in. It is, you know? and I didn't like it. I didn't, and I was, I, I would not move because, like, where I'm sitting at it was right behind the door. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm not going across that room. And well, sitting and the, on the other the, side the, to get into the attic. That second door I mentioned in the opening, you have to duck down to go through the second door to get into the attic. So there's not a whole lot of room in there. Yeah. So that's one. That's one of the things that happened while we were there. Um, the other thing that happened was to Casey, our intern. So I'll let you uh, tell the story. Well, there's there's two parts to this story. Um, but first, for, first of all, I mean, um, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, well, if this house messes with anyone, it's going to be the female, the lone female, you know. And we had talked to Casey, and, and Jay and Bonzi and I, we were sitting around the um, the uh, surveillance system in the uh, kitchen, sitting around the video monitor. And Casey was in there as well, but um, we said, "Hey, Casey, would you would you mind going into what, what I call the blue room because it's painted blue? It's the room that the Stillinger girls were murdered in. It's a, the only downstairs bedroom, and just maybe go in there and set. And we had a video camera in there that we could see Casey. So I said, "We will. We're only just a few feet away. If anything happens, didn't we all take a turn in there by ourselves though? Too at one point we did. Yeah, but." Uh, but it just seemed more practical that if anything girl. was going to happen, mm-hmm. it was going to be her. And she was okay with it at that point. Um, she seemed, yeah, she was kind of adventurous, adventuresome. And uh, she decided to that she would go in and sit on the bed. And I don't know, you could hear us in some of the, our video clips or audio clips. So we were just all talking, having conversations, watching the video monitors seated around the kitchen table. And I don't know if she'd probably been in there maybe 15 minutes at one point. And then... Um, she asked us, you know, she kind of, I don't want to say yelled out, but she got startled and said, hey, you know, come in here. So we did. You know, we didn't know what was wrong. And when we got in there, she – here, here were her exact words. Hey, um, can somebody come in here? That's <laughs> yeah. exactly – she goes, hey. Yeah. That is, I mean, she was just like, hey, can, uh, can, can somebody come in here? And you knew from the tone of her voice that something was wrong. <laughs> you know, it wasn't just, you know, come here. I want to show you something or tell you something. No, it was like get in here without mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. panicking. So anyhow, we, we go in there, and she's she's on the bed. She's seated on the bed. And as you go into the bedroom, um, to the doorway, to the right was a dresser, and beyond the dresser was a closet. There was no door on the closet. The, the door had been taken off. And then Casey was sitting on the bed, which the foot of the bed faced the dresser. And Casey, I think she was sitting kind of what they called Indian style, you know, with her legs crossed. Crisscross applesauce. Crisscross, yeah. yep. And she was, in the beginning, facing the opposite way. But she said something to the effect that she had heard something, like something was moving around in the closet. And then when she turned to look, she swears that she saw what looked like, it was a whitish figure, but looked like a child, like, kneeled down in the closet. Right. And that's when she started panicking and yeah. called us to come into the room. Yeah. Now, this is, of course, the first first episode. Yeah, and I remember her this first time. She said... That closet is just really creeping me out because yeah. she said, remember, she goes, she kept saying this. She goes, I don't know if it's my imagination playing tricks on me. She goes, I just keep feeling or, or seeing, I keep, I keep thinking like I see something moving yeah. in that closet area over there. And at one point, I think I saw what looked like a white little childlike figure. And we were like, and I, of course, me, you know, I'm like, what? And, like, and, and no, again, and not being skeptics, but it's kind of like, well, it's dark in here, you know, your eyes might have been playing tricks. We didn't say that to her. Right. But your eyes could have been playing tricks on you, you know, but I think that was in the back of all of our minds. Right. So then um, we do we leave for a little bit and take a break and then come back in? Or what happened? To, why did, why was there a part two? Or, or was this 
did she stay in there and this happened? No, um, we, we we left the room after that. I think for a while, and then uh, we go upstairs and do some stuff upstairs in the in the in the girls' bedroom upstairs too for a little bit. Well, I think right after that happened, we went back in the kitchen and okay. talked about it, and, okay. you know, a little bit, and we kind of monitored the video a little bit longer just uh-huh. to see if we saw anything in the right. uh, in the room. And 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 I guess I should add that when we checked our video, there was nothing recorded mm-hmm. in that room as far as anything seen. Right. Um, and then yeah, we went outside. Maybe took a break. I think we went back to the barn. Took a break. You know in what? There. She needed a break from that room. She didn't want to go back in there because you were like, maybe you should go back in there. Like Larry's always like, maybe you should. she's like, I just think I need a little break. Yeah. I need a little break. And so I think yeah, we did go outside and uh, we walked across to the gift shop area and uh, sat down and talked for a little bit. I think that's where some of those EVPs were picked up with just you and Jay in the house. There was one where Jay yeah. and I were the only ones in yeah, the yeah, house. Yeah. yeah. And so we're, we're going to get to those EVPs here in just a minute, but. Um, she, we ended up going back in the house, and um, again, you know, I think she got the courage. You know, she wanted to go. You know, Casey was one of those. She wanted to take things head on. Right. You know, she was gung ho and wanted to really like get up, get up in the face of of whatever you know was there and 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 experience something. Um, but then we we got her to go back in that room. Well, even before that, remember, um, I think after we went outside, we went back into the parlor and we were all kind of seated around again, sitting around again. And Casey said again that she saw something across the room in the parlor um, that looked like it was moving around. She said, it's something in the corner that looks like it's moving. And I believe it was Jay. And you said it wasn't you. And I, I don't think it was me either. But So it must have been Jay. But someone else thought they saw something moving in the corner too. And again, your eyes can play tricks on you in, yeah, in a dark house. Yeah, especially in this house. Yeah. Because there are lights out there. There's a train that comes by. There's right. different things that move in there. And that's I think I kept chalking that up to... Like Casey's just seeing things, you know. Yeah. She's just seeing things. Um, um, and then it was probably close to two o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. It was late. It was close yeah. to the end when uh, when we had a conversation and we decided, well, will you be okay with going back in there? And I think she kind of wanted to at this point. I think she got her nerve back, and I think she wanted to try to to see if she could see what she had, you know, seen before. Right. So. It's kind of the same scenario. Uh, Bonzi, Jay, and I, we go back into the kitchen. Casey goes into the bedroom. And I don't think she was in there quite as long this time. No, it, hap- it was really quick. It happened yeah. really quick. And, and you can hear her kind of moving around a little bit. But then in the clip that Bonzi's going to play here, uh, you'll you'll hear what sounds like somebody's breath being taken away. And uh, well, let's play the clip maybe first, and then we can. Right. Well, you'll it. hear a loud tap or a loud yeah. pop or Before. a loud sound or something. That startles her. Yep. And you can hear her being definitely scared. Actually, I didn't do pitch black. Yeah, with those windows there. Those windows with lights outside. Yeah, and I know I think I'll just curse. You don't know, there's two. Okay. Yeah, I'm not What? Just getting uncomfortable. Like, I just felt like something went right, right. Across my face, and it freaked me out. We have a well. We had a camera pointed at you. Let's see So again, we'll play the clip again. But you hear what is it sounds like a pop right. or a clip or some or, or a tap or something, and then you hear her go, oh, "No!" 
and yeah. like gets up and and bolts out bolts of out of the room. Yeah. And she said that she felt like something either went nope. by her face. She said she or, saw it. Or she, she saw it or felt it. Yeah, and, and she when she was described, we went out. So you could hear Bonzi asking her, do you want to go outside? So we took her outside. And she described that when, I don't know if it was when the noise happened or not, but she, she turned and where that closet is. It was like, she said, it was like a white light came from that direction and just went right by her face. Yeah. Um, which, again, it was similar to what she saw earlier, but this time... Something was moving right at her, and it scared the daylights out of her. This time Something she, went across her face and it freaked her out. And she didn't wait around to call for us. She just yeah. left. Yeah. She bolted. She uh we went outside and we talked about it. Um she did not go back in the house. No, she wouldn't. Kind of the same thing. Um and again, with a place like that, with this reputation and what just happened to her, you would think she would want to be around us, but she just wanted no part of that house anymore. Yeah. So those are the two uh, actual stories that happened to us while we were there. Um, but again, while we were there, there's things happening right underneath our nose that yeah. we didn't hear until Larry checked out the uh, the recordings. And right. we you got a lot of uh, EVPs from that night. We didn't. Well, I mean, you never know what you're going to get. But like you said, other than what happened to Casey, it was a pretty quiet night, mm-hmm. you know. And I think, in a way, I think you might have been a little disappointed in the investigation because of the, of the lack of activity. Other than that, well, I wasn't disappointed. I was just like, you know, wow. You expected I, more. I, I, I expected more stuff to yeah. happen and more, you know. But yeah, um, but def- you know, here here are the EVPs that we got uh, from that night, and uh, we'll play them, and then uh, Larry will explain uh, what we think is being uh, done or said or heard in these clips. And these aren't in order of how they happen, but uh, we're just going to go through some with you. But uh, this first clip here, it happened about 2.56, so close to 3 o'clock in the morning, and Jay and I are in the blue room, and we're the only ones in the room, and uh, you'll, you'll hear a breath. That, you'll hear us talking, but you'll also hear a breath that is not us. So we're good to go? Yeah. Yeah. Nice big long breath right behind you guys chit chatting and walking around. The the next clip that Bonzi's gonna play, um, I don't have a time on it, but it took place in the children's room. We've recorded several things in the children's room. But the only way I can describe it, it's a disembodied voice. It shouldn't be there. See, I, I hear through us. It, it could be. I mean, it could be. It, it, we, and again, I remember when we when you first played this for me. 
you thought it said someone's name or something. Yeah. I can't remember what, 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 what you thought it was. But we listened to that clip over and over and over and right. over and over again. Just it, it still, we can't tell what it says. No, not at all. Um, we have another disembodied voice. This one, um, I do have a time, but also took place in the children's room. It was 1.14 a.m. But again, it's just a disembodied voice that we're not quite sure what it's saying. Very creepy. <laughs> yeah. just a lot of there's something going on there yeah, and it sounds things. like different types of voices there yeah. you know what i mean yeah all right this one here you should be able to tell exactly what it says and this was in the children's room at uh, nine o'clock mm-hmm. so really early yeah very early I just—I don't get it. It to me, it sounds like it's saying, "Richard, tell me how you feel." Right? Who's Richard? Yeah. And as far as I know, I've done quite a bit of research on the house and read several books uh, by people who've done in-depth research, and there's no Richard connected to the house or the murders, as far as as far as we know. Richard, tell me how you feel. Richard, tell me how you feel. It's crazy. <laughs> That's insane. Um, Here, we got a couple other clips that are going to be pretty crazy, too. This one, again, children's room. It was early on, but uh, I don't have a time for this one. <laughs> Sounds like to me it's saying she came, died. Yeah. She came, died. That's crazy. And that's, think about it, you know, <laughs> were they talking about the Stillinger girls? They came, you know, but, uh, and they died. The when next, it, the next one is really yeah, chilling to me. This I mean, was recorded by a recorder in the parlor at 1.42 a.m. So it says it really fast. We yeah. slowed it down, but what do you think it says real quick before we played the slow down version? I think it says two girls sleep in here. Yeah, two girls doing something in here. You know, and, and again, over there. we were in the parlor and... Was something there pointing to the blue room where the Stillings girls were killed? Because two girls did sleep in there. Right. And you hear the the popping behind that. Yeah. You I know, mean, and you and you've picked this up a lot on your EVP recordings there. You hear like a lot of like what sounds like an axe chopping. Yeah, like something being slammed down or hit or thumps that if, are if they want to go back to the uh, our podcast on Velisca from season one, um, there's a EVP that we play from one of the investigations I did where you can time like 
the like the the axe being lifted up, hitting the ceiling, and coming down and chopping. There's just like bang, bang, but it's during a sequence of EVPs, you know. So and you hear someone go, oh, yeah, you hear them, yeah. almost like someone exhaling or or like their maybe their last breath or right. whatever. Um, the next one, we I don't have a time, but uh, Jay and I, it's a whispery voice, and Jay and I were the only ones in the house when this was recorded. And they had uh, somehow some kind of motion sensors. They picked up the house. They picked up, they picked up motion through the house, and it went. And they picked up the house. They picked up. They picked up, picked up the house. They picked up, they picked up motion through the house, and it went up the stairs. You know what I think that says? And I think we talked about this too. It. I think it says they're outside. Talking about you guys, me and Casey, you know, taking one of our breaks, or maybe that was the final break that we took. Play, play it one more time, please. And they had uh, some kind of motion sensors, and they picked up the house. They picked up, they picked up motion, and they picked up the house. They picked up, they picked, and they picked up the house. They picked up, they picked up motion through the house, and it went up the stairs. Then it went. It's kind of like maybe running there and outside together, like just saying it yeah. as one one word. Yeah. <laughs> They're outside. Yeah. It could be. It could be. And that's a lot of EVPs, man. For, and that's that's not even all of them. No. There you were know? quite a few that you, wouldn't have been good for radio you, or for a podcast. You couldn't understand them, you know. The Velisca house, man. The real deal, Larry. It really and, is. Um, there's pictures that we're going to be putting up on the podcast page. Again, the picture of me in the attic getting whatever that was in front of the, the camera. Uh, we're going to put a, a really creepy blood moon that was yeah. there that night. I didn't even know that was going to happen. But that was odd. That's a good pick. A full moon. Got a picture of the blue room, uh, the children's room, uh, the actual house. Uh, Casey sitting in the kitchen so you can see what she was doing. <laughs> Some of the time when she was not freaking out, but uh, yeah, definitely uh, somewhere that you know it should be should be investigated. Uh, I don't think it'll have a problem uh, here and out to the future, Larry. The Velisca House uh, was was uh, you know our our fifth investigation. Oh, we forgot to talk about what happened when we did our Halloween show. Oh yeah, uh, which was crazy. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah. let you start describing yeah. that one. Well, we were setting up doing what we're doing now. Uh, we had, uh, you know, some equipment running here, some recording equipment, some playback equipment, and of course the system in front of us here that that runs the the, the radio station and the music and the the stuff that you hear coming out. There's lots of buttons. There's a a keyboard, uh, two keyboards in here. There's a big giant board in the studio. There's two computers uh, here, and we've got four of the radio stations in this building. And um, never had this ever happened ever. Um, all at the same time and w- to all four radio stations. And and you had talked about this before. Whenever you bring up this house, um, there's some sort of energy or some sort of connection to electrical equipment. Seems and, to be, yeah. And some sort of power surge. You've had uh, total radio stations shut down and or, or TV stations shut down and equipment go wrong when you're doing interviews and stuff. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we were just talking and I we, think we, we were just, just getting finished. started. We had just finished the Velisca portion, remember? We, okay. had, we talked yeah, about an right. hour and a half on Velisca, and we were going to another investigation we did for the second half of the show when all heck broke loose. Yeah, and, and people were listening yeah. it, when it happened. And literally, we're sitting here, and all of a sudden, the whole building shuts down to complete pitch black. Like, everything, all the power, all the stations shut down. 
we're all looking around and beep. Remember the beeping noises, like meep, yeah. meep, meep. Like there's yeah. like a murder, like and you're like, what, what's going on here? I'm like, yeah, I don't know what's going on here. Um, but it was it, it, we we've had power surges before, and one or two stations will go off. But usually there's backups for that. That as soon as the power goes off, the stations come back up and you're fine. So what happened to us that day was during the Halloween show, getting done talking about Velitska, everything went down. Everything came back up. The three stations that are here came up just fine. The backups worked. Our station was off for probably, what, about 15 minutes? Like, that had never happened before. Yeah, totally off. Where all the other stations came back up and ours didn't. And there were people listening who thought that we did that on purpose. Right. And it was like, uh, why would we want to do that? You know, that's yeah. that's not a good look for a station no. going off the air for 15 minutes. And I remember... Uh, um, Hearing, uh, I think you had a technician that had to come in. He was on his way to Decatur. He came back in because yeah. I think normally you're the guy that gets helps get this station back up, aren't you? Well, uh, yeah, we can, there's certain things that we that can push do. and there's certain things yeah. that we can reset, but so nothing they, was working. They called the guy in. And I remember when I was leaving, I heard him talking to your general manager and I heard your general manager say something like, well, that can't happen, can it? And he said, I've never seen it happen before right. like that, you know? <laughs> right. And if I remember right too, wasn't the... The local power company, CWLP, um, didn't they say that this was the only building in the neighborhood that went? I don't remember that. Yeah. Either, if it wasn't you, someone here had told me that, that this was the only building in Southern View that went out at that time. And if you'll remember, it was about a a couple weeks later, I had released a book and and you hosted a a book release party Uh for me in Taylorville. And we had like helium balloons set up all over the place. And I remember at the end of the the, the party, we had a, a question and answer segment. And a gentleman by the name of David Law, he's from my town where I live, Taylorville. And he was asking about the Halloween show and how the power went out and everything. He said, well, did you guys, was that kind of just for effect where you guys set that up? And we're responding to his question. And all of a sudden, one of the helium balloons just explodes, and it, like, scared the daylights out of everybody. Everybody was like, oh. Yeah, and it's like. And I said, there's your answer. (laughs) (laughs) When's the last time you've seen a a helium balloon explode? I mean, there's there's nothing around. time, but balloons happening? Balloons explode, but I've I've never, this is one of those heavy foil balloons, you know, and it's just like. Blew up and just kind of shook everybody yeah. then, you know. But but this house, it, it's the real deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you plan to investigate the house, uh, just take precautions, you know, and, and, and don't take it lightly. Oh, we did too. We had the holy water. We had the rose water. We had it all. We backed out of there. I remember, I yeah. remember we there, there, there's that long uh, deck or like— Yeah, it's like a ramp for a wheelchair ramp. access. I remember we, I, I walked backwards the whole way to the yeah. car till I got off of the property because I didn't want anything messing with me on the, well, on the way back from it, that. It, talking about the, on the way home or back home, once we got back home, though— if you'll remember, Casey had all kinds of electrical problems mm-hmm. in her apartment where she lived. Her TV quit working, that kind of thing. And then Jay, uh, the other investigator, when he got home, uh, he was uh, uh, dating a girl at the time, and she was a teacher. And every every evening after she would get off work, they'd have a glass of wine together. And it was the day after our investigation, um, she gets home, and they're going to have a glass of wine. And they go to the um, cabinets and all the wine glasses are gone. They just vanished. But also, I kind of got ahead of myself a little bit. The night that he got back home, um, his uh, I think it was fiance at the time, was doing a load of dishes, and she started to put glasses in the dishwasher, and she put a wine glass in like center of the dishwasher, she said, and the glass flew out of the dishwasher and landed on the floor, which but there's no real reason for that, you know. But but yeah, a few weird things happened after after we got back. 
It's Velisca Axe Murder House, Episode 2, Season 5. What do we have coming up next week, Larry? I think I might be wrong here, but I'm believing it's Randolph County. Oh, yeah. The reformery. Another good one right there, buddy. Should be. Oh, my goodness. Well, thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in again next week as Bonzi and I once again unravel more mysteries of the paranormal. Until then, happy hauntings. You've been listening to the Newhoff Media Podcast Network. For more, visit newhoffmedia.com.